You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Um, it's an honor to have a guest speaker, and I want to introduce him by, by saying a, a quick word. For the past, and you've noticed this maybe in your bulletin, that for, the, for the past several months, I'll just kind of read this, the Gospelite Baptist Church's elders and deacons and leadership team and, and even our church family have been discussing the possibilities of partnering with the Southern Baptist Convention. And so this morning, as a church family, on our 26th anniversary, at the end of the service, we're going to be voting to join the SBC. Much prayer, much discussion, even a lot of research. It all started just in an elders meeting where we, we were just talking about the fact that over time we have kind of felt ourselves become just a, a church without a lot of networking and constituents and people to call and places to go. We came across some needs. And who do we call? Who do we call? We didn't even know who to call. There was a day when I probably would have known, but because of things that God has led us to, um, we have found ourselves at times to, to not have, uh, if you will, a, a, a group of churches, uh, fellow brethren, pastors of like faith and practice who we can call. And so I took for breakfast a man by the name of Roger Gaunt here at Cracker Barrel. Uh, he has been in the convention for a long time. He was a missionary for many, many years. And we had a wonderful breakfast together. Just amazing. And from that meeting, I went back to our leadership team, our elders, and and they asked if, if we could maybe take that next step, which was to drive to Little Rock and visit the Arkansas State Baptist Convention offices. We spent nearly an entire day with our staff. At the end of the day, we met in a conference room with uh, Brother Sonny Tucker, the executive, uh, or rather the executive director of the uh, Arkansas State Baptist Convention, along with other leadership of their missions department, of their, uh, you know, their, their different places, in, and I'm learning still, but the different organizations within the organization that can help churches uh, advance the kingdom of Jesus. And we had a great meeting. And one of the highlights of the meeting that we all agreed as we, as we, as we drove home to Hot Springs that afternoon was our time with Brother Tucker. I mean, just so, it was just such a, an enlightening visit because so many of the things that, you know, you hear about groups and conventions and control and power we're all, they all disappeared because we realized that not much changes. We're still an autonomous, independent church that is governed by, just like we are now, nothing changes in our bylaws. Nothing changes really with anything other than the opportunity to partner. Partner with, in Arkansas, 1,548 churches. In America now, close to 50,000 churches that uh, call themselves Baptist churches, uh, Southern Baptist churches, if you will, part of a network called a convention that is truly all about the gospel. And so there's not any more I need to say about that because we've had then the chance to meet with all of our congregation through informational meetings and emails. And if somebody, if there was any questions in one of our small groups, I personally called that person who had the question, took him out for breakfast or met with him in my office. And so I've had a great time. I've enjoyed the past four months just discovering for myself and understanding that this is going to be a great, great move for us. And we've had total unity. We've had, it's been amazing how God has blessed this process for the past four months. So I wanted to say that because I didn't get a chance to make the announcements and then let you know that we wanted to have a speaker come from the Arkansas State Baptist Convention just to preach so that we could get, you know, so that you could get as a, as a church family, we could get just a little taste of someone who has been in the ministry for a long time, works directly for the convention 
in the, Ar- in, in the state of Arkansas, and, uh, and, and, and we could get just a, a good, a closer feel of what this is all about. So I'm, I'm thrilled. And at the very end, we've actually got some folks joining the church today. Uh, we'll give an opportunity as an, an invitation, as we always do. But then at the very end, we'll, we'll have the opportunity to uh, be in one accord with all that we've been doing for the past several months. So with that said, thanks for coming. Happy anniversary. And without further ado, Brother Tucker, would you come? And would you give him a warm gospel-like welcome? The executive director of the Arkansas State Baptist Convention. What an honor to be here with you at Gospel Light Baptist Church. Incredible time of worship. One of the best uh, worship teams I've worked with all over the state. So I know you guys are proud. And I love Brother Eric. 26 years. I can't believe he's been here this long. That's kind of like a record, but I know you're blessed to have him. And uh, so you know this. God so often blesses uh, churches based on how they treat your pastor and staff. So you be sure and love on your pastor and staff and uh, their families and... uh, Make sure they take their days off. Make sure they take vacations. Uh, give them a raise every time you can. What else have you asked me to say, Brother Eric? I I'm just kidding. He did not ask me to say that. I say that everywhere I go, but you love on your pastor and staff. And I want to tell you, you have something really special going here at Gospel Light. I'm so impressed with your spirit. I'm so impressed with attitude. A lot of the other pastors in this town are really thankful that gospel light is here and for the impact that you're having uh i remember when second baptist and uh, this church worked out the deal for the building they were so excited uh, that they were able to sell their building or whatever you worked out with an incredible church and so that's really probably when i really started uh, learning a lot about your church and so kind of kept up through the years and again some of the pastors around are so big on you so it's just an honor to be here and uh, so impressed with what I've seen and heard here today. We're going to be in the book of Acts this morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 1. You know, last words are always important. If you've ever been with someone in their last moments, if you remember the last thing somebody said, it's always powerful. And we're going to look at Jesus' parting words before he ascended into heaven. It's real amazing what he said was important. He knew that these men around him, his disciples, would listen and they would key in on what he said. And there are so many topics that he could have broke, so many things he could have said, but he really focused in on one thing. He showed us what's really important, showed us what really counts, showed us what really matters. And so life is confusing. Sometimes we have a lot of decisions to make in church and sometimes... You know, people get worked up about things that don't matter. Jesus said, let me tell you what really matters. So it really comes down to this bottom line. Be in Acts chapter 1. If you stand, would you please stand in honor of God's word? We'll start with Acts chapter 1 verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, 
and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had spoken these words, these things, while they watched, he was taking up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Father, speak to us in that special place in our heart by your word and by your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I really don't know who's here this morning. Y'all look, I start to say y'all look strange, but you really don't look strange. What I mean is I don't know many of you. I know a few of you. It's a really a bad way to start off, I know. But how's God feel about you? So you say, you know, I'll just tell you, Brother Sonny, I just kind of popped in. I, I'm, I'm really not church material. I'm sure not Baptist material. I'm kind of one of them messed up folks. You know, what does he think about you? Uh, what about your family? Some of you would say, I really come from a pretty messed up family. And uh, to be honest, uh, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. And I, in my home, there's a lot of folks who may not even believe in God. Maybe they curse God. Maybe they say he doesn't exist. So how does Jesus feel about them? Because apparently they don't, they're not real big on him. How does he feel about them? The last parting words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven set this straight. Here's what he said. He said, you folks are the target. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, here's what he said. The biggest thing that I want my followers to do is try to help folks have a relationship with me. The most important thing I can give you to do, he says, as my disciples, is to make sure folks like in your home, your dad, or your mom, or your children, or your grandchildren, or your alcoholic uncle, or your incarcerated grandfather, or your mom that's in rehab this morning. One of the greatest things you can do is make sure that they are the focus. I want them to hear the good news about me, that I love them, and I died for them, and make them the priority. It's really pretty simple. It's really pretty easy. Sometimes we make things way too complex and make too hard, way too hard. But he said, this is what I want the church to do. So I see several things about this text that stand out. I see in this parting command, what he's really saying is go with the gospel. Take the gospel, and I want you to go with the gospel. Now, sometimes folks get messed up about what the gospel is. They're confused. I was in a, I can't remember where I was one time. No, I was in a truck stop, and somebody had left tracks in the truck stop, and that's really a good thing to do. I like to leave tracks in truck stops. Usually, this is probably not appropriate, but I put them in the toilets. I mean, what else? Well, never mind. But it's just a good place for folks to read. And so uh, I found this track in a, in a truck stop, and it was 14 things you have to do to get saved. And I'll just be honest, if I only had 20 minutes to live, I wouldn't have had time to work through that list of 14 things to do. And I was thankful it wasn't a, it wasn't a Baptist group, and I, I appreciate their sincerity. I know they meant well, but it's real clear and real plain what the gospel is. In fact, Jesus said this, or Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to, listen to what he said, and let me read some of these verses. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word 
He said, For I delivered first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. And then he was seen by a bunch of folks. That's the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's according to the scriptures, based on God's holy, inerrant, infallible word, based on what he said in the word, he died for our sins. That's the most powerful fact that I know. You have to understand today, if you're here and you're not a believer, somebody died for you. The thing that I want to do in my life is always have appreciation for folks that have done things for me. I try to be thankful. I try to have gratitude. And there are some folks in my life that have done a lot. But I want to tell you one of the driving forces for me personally. This is what I can't get away from. This is what I can't forget. And when I get in a worship service that's powerful like today, and you start singing about Jesus, that just gets me. I'll just tell you, if you want to get me revived, I've gone to revival services. And, and, you know, I'm okay. I have to have strong preaching sometime. I need to get... I need to get kicked on a little bit. But if you really want to get me, if you really want to get to my heart, you just talk to me about what Jesus has done for me. You talk to me how great he is and that he died for me and that he really, really loves me. And I was in his heart when he was on the cross. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. And when the appointed time came, he died on the cross And something unbelievable happened when Jesus was on the cross. It's like this unbelievable spiritual transaction. All the sins that I have committed, thought, word, deed, motive, was laid on Jesus. And God punished Jesus for all the stuff that I've done just like Jesus did it. And he hung on the cross until he had totally paid for all of my wrongdoings. And then he said this, it's finished. You know what he meant? He meant, Lord, Tucker's sins and the sins of the whole world that you laid on me, that you punished me for, I have died on the cross suffering your judgment, and I have been here long enough to make a total spiritual payment for their sins. And then he said, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. Not resuscitated, resurrected. It's different. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval on what Jesus did on the cross. Now, here's why 1 Corinthians is so important. Anybody can say, oh, yeah, anybody can claim he came back from the dead. He starts naming names. Hey, here's some folks who saw him. Here's some folks who saw him. And he said, hey, 500 folks saw him at one time. Most of those folks are still alive. Go ask them. It's a proven historical fact. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, let me tell you where I come in my life and you come in your life. <laughs> i got to do something with that. I've got to do something with that. Nobody loves you more than Jesus. Nobody's done more for you than Jesus. When I share the gospel with folks, here's the one thing I want to happen. Even if I just have a brief time, I want them, if they, if they decide not to be saved at that moment, here's what I want them to do. I want them to lay their head down on their pillow that night and it'd be driving in their heart, somebody died for me. Somebody died for me. And this unbelievable, incredible payment by Jesus demands a response from us. It's a yes or no deal. I hope today, if you're not saved, you'll say yes. I'm going to give you a chance at the end of the service, if you're not saved, to say yes to Jesus. Let me just tell you, 
I'm going I'm just I don't do tricks I don't do games I'm going to give you a chance to receive Jesus where you where you sit or where you stand all I'm going to ask you to do is either during the response time or after the service you let your friend or your wonderful pastor or somebody here that you know know that you got saved they want to rejoice with you and they want to help you get started right but this is the greatest thing standing between you and eternity is what you do with Jesus I hope you'll decide to take the plunge. I put off being saved, Brother Eric, for three years. And I really don't know why. There was fear. I don't really know why there was fear. I can't really articulate it. I remember uh, at nine years old in church, and it wasn't a a hellfire and brimstone sermon. It was just a normal sermon. It's like a light switch went on in my head. You need to be saved. And I put it off for three years, and it was miserable. (laughs) It was miserable. Because I knew that I was rejecting Jesus and I was saying no to him. Then I remember we had a revival and I know I didn't know for a long time who the preacher was. He was a real good guy. He was an older guy. He was really good. He preached a long time, a lot longer than I'm going to preach. He had a handkerchief. I know he always had that handkerchief. He'd wave that handkerchief and uh, then blow his nose on that handkerchief. And then he'd wipe the sweat over that handkerchief. You know, evangelists had a short lifespan back in those days. You know, they had terrible health practices. But I remember he was so plain and so clear and so compelling, and I wanted to be saved. And whatever fear kept me, I really think, I thought Jesus was so busy, he probably didn't have time, and he wouldn't even notice that I was asking to save me. But I went down and told the pastor, I am ready to be saved. And so I just simply place my faith in Jesus and ask him to save me. Now, listen, if he's a liar, I'm in bad shape. But if he is who he said he is, and if he will do what he said he would do, we sang about that, that I'm saved. Because Romans 10, 13 is a promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will, shall, for sure, no doubt, be saved. And that's you, friend. That's you. There's what he said. I want you to go. Church, I want you to go. I want you to be focused. I want you to have intensity about this. I want this to be your priority. Don't get caught up in all the stuff. Don't get caught up in all the stuff. I want you to focus on this, be intense, and make sure the gospel, the good news about Jesus goes to the entire world. And I've been real plain, he says, what the gospel is. A friend of mine called not long ago, this a few months ago, and he said, I'm just so frustrated, Brother Sonny. He said, my folks don't come to church on Wednesday night. I'm just telling them now when I, lead them, when I tell them how to get saved, I just throw in Wednesday night. I didn't say anything. And he said, you're not saying anything. I said, well, you didn't ask me what I thought. You're just talking. He said, well, I want to know what you think. And I said, brother, I love you dearly. He said, uh-oh, I know what's coming. <laughs> Don't dare mix anything else with Jesus and what he did on the cross. Now, I want to tell you, when you get saved, you begin to follow Jesus and you fall in love with him. I said, don't dare let your frustrations mess with that. Preached not long ago in South Arkansas, one of the, the, the college ministries there from a local community college, a lady had brought a bunch of college students. There was a lady from uh, somewhere in Asia, and uh, she was really nice, really sweet. And she did what... A lot of folks do. She's halfway asleep by, you know, sleepy by about the third of the sermon. When I started sharing the gospel, she woke up and she looked. 
she locked on me. When I told what the gospel was, she locked on me. And when I said, Jesus will save you if you will call on him and ask him to save you, I said, you're saved by faith. That's what the Bible says over 175 times. Faith involves your head. I believe what the Bible says about Jesus. Faith involves your heart. I decide to love him. Faith involves your will, your volition. I decide to make a rational, coherent decision to place my faith in Jesus and I follow him. I'll start a new relationship with him as my Savior, as my Lord, and as my best friend. And she was locked in. And I mean, as soon as the response time came, she was the first one that responded. She was so excited. Folks, I want to tell you, there are folks who are looking for hope. They've tried everything else. The gospel is good news. It's good news. They can't believe that Jesus loves them. They can't believe that Jesus died for them. They can't believe that Jesus will save them. So friend, understand, being involved as a church in some kind of routine program is important. Being involved as an individual and and bringing up the conversation. Learn to start gospel conversations. I learned a long time ago. I've never been somebody that pushed Jesus down somebody's throat. I don't really think Jesus needs pushing. But I tell you what I do try to do, just knock on the door. Because the Holy Spirit precedes us. And I found you tap on the door. God puts you in encounters with folks that he's already prepared their heart for. I stopped by preaching one night, late one Sunday night, I stopped by an easy mark. And uh, now this in Magnolia. There was a college student there checking me out about 11 o'clock at the cash register. And uh, he looked like an atheist, if you've ever seen one. I mean, green hair, sticking straight up. I really thought that's pretty cool, to be honest. And tattoo here, I, I thought, now that one hurt, you know. And he had earrings and, and uh, pretty rough talking. And he said, dude, y'all dressed up pretty late at night. What you been doing? I've been out telling folks how to go to heaven. He said, hey. He said, I got no idea how to go to heaven. You got time to talk to me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a few weeks later, the same scenario, I'll stop by Magnolia, a real cool African-American guy, and one of the, the fraternities had a tattoo. And the same thing, he said, hey, dude, you dressed up pretty nice late at night. He said, what you been doing? Hey, this is almost like the other night. I've been telling folks how to go to heaven. He said, hey. I have no idea how to go to heaven. You got time to talk to me? (laughs) Yeah. And it's good news. If they have to be perfect to get to heaven, they can't get there. But if it's a love story that Jesus loves them, it's good stuff. Let me tell you what God has done in an incredible way. He's placed you in Hot Springs, Arkansas. My hometown's about 30 miles from here. It's just a unique place. You're probably more eclectic than any city in the state. Maybe uh, Eureka Springs is close. No place like Hot Springs. There are folks here with struggles. There are folks here with hurts. There are folks here they think nobody loves them. And God placed you here. He gave you an incredible church with one of the most wonderful atmosphere and spirit and all kind of diverse folks here. An incredible pastor great folks here what they want to know is how come you got that smile why is there light in your eyes when life is so hard 
And I just want to encourage you, just learn to do this. And the Holy Spirit goes ahead, and he gets them ready. And they'll give you a chance to share with them. So he tells them, this is what I want you to do. And he said, listen, here's what I want you to focus for. First, guys, Jerusalem, that's your city. And here's what I think it means. You're responsible for your whole city. This is what I tell folks in Arkansas. We're, you're responsible for everybody in your city. Who will come to you? Let bring them. Who won't come to you? We have to find a way to go to them. Next thing he says, I want you to be responsible for your area. That's your region. And he said, I want you to find a way to have impact with the gospel for the region. Then he said, I want you to impact Samaria. Now, that's the folks next door to, to, the, to the Jews. They really didn't like the Samaritans, and the Samaritans really didn't like to them. Jews were prejudiced toward the Samaritans. Samaritans were prejudiced toward them. Here's what Jesus said. You're just as responsible for the Samaritans as you are anybody else. I don't care anything about the past. I don't care what's in your heart. You are responsible, gentlemen, for the Samaritans next door. And then he says, I want you to get the gospel to the remote ends of the earth. Now they're thinking, there's no way we can do this. We're a small group. How do we do this? They're thinking it's impossible. So he does two things real quickly to help them understand. First of all, he ascends. Now, I didn't catch this for a long time, probably the importance of it. Now, this is before hot air balloons, and this is before elevators and escalators and airplanes. He's standing there talking. He gives them the Great Commission. The scholars say the fifth time it's recorded. Then he does this. Just goes up. That's why they're standing there gazing. Because they were like, golly, I ain't never seen nothing like that. It's a miracle, isn't it? Here's what he said. I just gave you something impossible to do, and I just did something impossible. You stay hooked up with me, you will do the impossible. That's for Gospel Light Baptist Church, and that's for you as an individual. When we stay hooked up with Jesus, he allows us to do the impossible because he works through us, and he works with us. And then the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and it was incredible. There were miracles that happened, even the mighty wind and the place being shaken, and he gave them the power to do the work. I am so thankful we don't have to do God's work in our own flesh. The Holy Spirit is there speaking to the hearts while we speak to the heads. He gets them ready. He does the work. We're just there, and we get to be a part of it. But understand this. He's saying... Scholars say the best way to look at this, all at the same time, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remote ends. This is what that means for you as gospel light. This is what that means for me as an individual, Sonny Tucker. I'm responsible for the gospel going to my city, my region, the Samaritans next door, and to the remote ends of the earth, all at the same time. I get this question sometimes. Gal called, and he'll say, Brother Sonny, we've got this new young pastor. Maybe he's an old pastor, but he's got all this energy about this mission stuff and reaching everybody. And I'll just tell you, I, I don't, the way I got this thing figured, we shouldn't be worried about them other folks. We get everybody saved right here. What do you think? Now, I really want to be in comp. I'm not there yet as nice as Brother Eric. I want to be in competition to be one of the nicest guys in Hot Springs as Pastor Eric. I really do but I'm going the other way when I get questions like this. 
They say, what do you think? Here's my, here's my response usually. I didn't know you got to do the thinking. I didn't know you got to do the figuring. You got it figured we shouldn't try to reach folks far off until we reach everybody here who gave you the right to do the figuring. He said, get the gospel everywhere at the same time. So here's what I think that implies. I think that implies there's got to be strategy involved. You got to have the best plan we can come up with and ask the Holy Spirit to help. I also think that implies a unified effort. And that's where Arkansas Baptists come in. Let me tell you who Arkansas Baptists are. We're a bunch of independent, autonomous churches. The way God's got this thing work, the pinnacle, the apex, the point, it's not any denominational structure. It's the local church. All denominational structures work under the local church, and they serve the local church. I get called sometimes, Brother Sonny, would you come tell our church what to do? Ooh, not our role. A deacon. Brother Sonny, would you come tell our pastor what to do? No. Have you ever tried to tell a Baptist what to do? Like trying to tell your mother-in-law what to do. You are wasting your breath. But here's what I see. We can't get everywhere at the same time. So we started organizing. Here's what we said when we started Cooperative Program Ministries. What if we come up with a plan? All of our churches are autonomous. They do anything they want to do. And they don't become Arkansas Baptist churches or Southern Baptist churches. We just become a family of believers. And Arkansas is about 500,000 of us. We can't find everybody. That's how many is on the road. But that's kind of what we got. It's a family. And we're a network of right now, last time I looked, about 1,562 churches. What if we function like a network? And we try to do stuff together that we couldn't do individually. What if we try to create spiritual synergy? What would that look like? Well, what if we set up an international mission board and we don't commission missionaries, the local churches commission the missionaries. But those guys study and they know where the great movements are going on in the world. We got something called the 1040 window, which are places that it's illegal by penalty of death to have a Bible or preach the gospel. We're called to take the gospel to the 1040 window. So we set up something called an international mission board. We take missionaries only as the local churches, which is what God ordained sends them. We know how to get them in the countries. And we teach them how to be English as a second language professor and a business consultant and an agri-consultant and an exchange student. And we can get them in. And then we set up a North American mission board because we got 32 cities that 85% of North America's population live. And what if we start church planning movements and missions and especially focus on those cities? And we don't commission missionaries. Churches do. And we help them get coordinated and plant churches. And we help partially fund them through something called Cooperative Program Ministries. And what about in Arkansas? We try to reach this state with about 3 million folks. And we have all kind of pockets of folks that we're really not doing very well with. We're finding there's international communities in Arkansas that they come from countries where they're less than 2% evangelized and there's no known church planting movement by any evangelical group in the world. We found about 35 of those groups in Arkansas. 
And here's what we think. If we, if we just, this has been within the last year. If we can get local churches to help with church planning movements with those folks, they'll go, they could go back to their country. And God will call some of those folks to go into ministry. And that's how we work together. And we said, what if we do this? What if we start some agencies and institutions to help with the network? That's what the International Mission Board does and the North American Mission Board does. And what about in Arkansas? What if we have some stuff for the churches? You see, we have something called Camp Siloam. A lot of churches do their own summer camp, and, and I'm sure you do because you're larger you can do it. You understand that 1,562 churches, last time I looked, we can only find about 300 student pastors, full-time, part-time volunteers, because most of our churches are smaller membership churches. 1,100 of our churches run less than 100 in Sunday school. 784 run less than 50. They can't do their own church camp. So we have a church camp that they can go to that has a program, a place to stay, and they train the counselors how to share their faith and the petroleum heavy, and they got a program set up. It's not for everybody, but it's for the majority of our churches. That's why we work together. Personally, I don't want, as a pastor, I've pastored 16 years, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't think that's the way you work. But I tell you what, I want to be a part of a network where they are big on the gospel. I'm really part of a network where they have a doctrinal statement. It's a Baptist faith and message that lays out the basic doctrines you have to believe in to be a part of the network or the fellowship. And you have to believe in the basics. Heaven, hell, Jesus, salvation, a local church, and the basic stuff. And then we go for it. And it's set up that the churches give as much or as little as they want to to the cooperative program missions because we respect a local church. Churches don't quit being who they are. Churches are who they are, and they join the network. I was so amazed when I was 21 years old and a first-time pastor. We started off with 14 in Sunday school and 16 in worship. By the way, I was over my head in ministry. By the way, I've never not been over my head in ministry. I mean, it should never be that I ever feel like I, I got it because it's always of God, it's his ministry. I can do nothing without him. But I remember we did grow. We had about, I was bivocational, six and a half years. We had about four years of just unbelievable revival. Some of the most radical unchurched folks saved. So many young folks. It was so good. It was so good. But we had no money. We had no money. And I had to work hard to be the pastor. And we sent what we could to the missions, cooperative program missions. And here's what I learned that got me so excited. Cooperative program missions is built on Acts 1-8. They took, say, if we could send $100 a month, and sometimes that was the most we could send. The messengers at the annual meeting had voted on a formula that some of it went to the Jerusalem missions and church planning and evangelism. Some went to the Judea missions and church planning and evangelism, and some went to the Samaria, and some went to the remote ends of the earth. And that little bit of money we gave was divided by a formula that the messengers from the churches had voted on, and it went all over the world. And it touched thousands of missionaries and thousands of church plants, and it wasn't much. But I'll tell you what happens. You put 1,100 churches in this state running less than 100 who can't go. We're commanded to go, but they literally can't go. 
but they get to be a part of a network that working together in spiritual synergy, they can. And the money goes all over the world. $31 million in missions money comes in from Arkansas to go here and all over the world. And most of it, smaller membership churches. I love what we have. In Arkansas, God's doing some incredible stuff. I really wasn't the typical kind of guy you call as executive director. I've just always been a pastor. God started me in the rural area with a bunch of radical lost folks. And they would not come to our church. I had to go to them. And God gave me a heart. I've always said this for everybody. I think everybody counts. I think everybody matters. I think the banker and the incarcerated person is just as equal in Jesus' eyes. I think a child, whether they're black, red, yellow, Anglo, are all just the same in Jesus' eyes. I don't care how many times somebody's been divorced and remarried. I don't care how many mistakes they've made. They count to Jesus. So you want to ask me to leave a, a wonderful pastor and be the state evangelism director, you've got to understand my heart. I'm not playing about this stuff. You can fire me, but you can't bat me in a corner and intimidate me. And you want to make me executive director, you've got to understand we're going for everybody in this state. I'll just give you one thing God has done the five years I've been an exec. A few years ago, the North American Mission Board had this national soul winning campaign, called folks on the phone, and we had uh, phone soul winners trained all over the nation. And any time of the day you called, you had folks on standby. Actually, it's a lady in Mountain Home or Rogers led more people to Jesus on the phone than anybody else in the country. I was so proud of that. And I told them, that, that's Arkansas, folks. That, we're good, you know. I got around some of the folks at the North American Mission Board. They said this one day. They said, Tucker, what, what's going on in the Arkansas Delta? I said, what do you mean? They said, it was either the number one response area in the country or one of the top response areas in the country. They said, they're calling like crazy to be saved. There's such a spiritual hunger there. He said, what are y'all doing in the Delta? And with a broken heart, I said, really nothing. It's extreme poverty. It's just not where we have a lot of churches and not a lot of strong churches. And they said, you got to do something. I said, it's already in my heart to do something. So about 2005, 2006, we started praying, God, do something in the Delta. God's raising up a bunch of young folks in our state who want to plant churches with the radical unchurched people. And a lot of them do have green hair and they've got tattoos all over their face and all over their neck and they got red hair and they got I mean they look like they've been sleeping on the street some of them they really need to take a bath I tell them but a lot of them you know what they feel they feel called to reach the throwaway people that nobody in this state loves or focuses on they would not go to any first Baptist church in this state for a great salary they want to plant a church to reach people that don't know Jesus that's my kind of folks right there I want everybody, but I love folks like that. They want to work in the Delta. So we found some African-American pastors in the Delta that belong, most of them to other denominations, and they said, we don't, we don't have any money over here. We don't have much help. Would y'all help us, even though we're not Arkansas Baptists? You betcha. So I'm going to get some pastors, pastor from First Baptist here, pastor from uh, Hot Springs Baptist here, some of the leading pastors we have that are really good teachers, we're going to go to the Delta. You get your pastors and key leaders, and we're going to teach you 
everything we know about church, how to, how to have small group leaders and how to teach the Bible. And then they start saying this, ain't nobody loved us like y'all have. Do you want us? You bet I want you. Five years, we've had over 50 African-American churches join the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. I'm telling you, these guys are machines. They are so passionate about the gospel and about Jesus and about lost folks. Jarvis Smith is at Second Baptist in West Helena. He's bivocational. There's no financial base in the, in the Helena area. They planted five churches in five years out of his church. They had a block party not long ago that he asked for some of our cowboy churches to show up. So we had an African-American cowboy church in Mississippi and a couple of Ang uh, Anglo cowboy churches show up with horses. And this is what Jarvis said. Tucker, I don't know how many folks are going to show up, but there's sure not any horses in this part of the hood, I'll just tell you. So, <laughs> so we have block parties that we have. We teach folks how to share the gospel. Popcorn machine to blow up things you jump on. And we had horses. A thousand people showed up. About a hundred professions of faith that day. Horses were tired for two weeks. They rode to their homes and were hanging out. Here's what I saw. I saw real stuff. Everybody coming together because everybody matters to Jesus. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your skin color. And they shared the good news about Jesus. And there were folks that were hungry, hungry to hear that God has not forgotten me loves me. That's why I love doing what I do and being who I be. Let me tell you about gospel life. You don't need us. You're one of the greatest churches in this state. You will, if you decide to be a part of us, you will never quit being gospel life. You are you. And you join a network. I will promise you, you're going to join a network of a whole bunch of, not all of them, but a whole bunch of folks just like Brother Eric his heart, his passion, his vision. And you will find that you're loved and you're welcome. You will be different because you should be different. But we will love you and we will celebrate with you because it's all about him. Amen. And whether you're formal or not with us, we're always going to love you and care about you. Let me get to you if you're here today and never been saved. The last thing Jesus said was to make sure that you hear the good news. And make sure you know you're loved. You've been putting off being saved. Maybe it's the first time you heard it. The God of all the universe is looking at you this morning and smiling. And he's got his hand out. If I were God, I'd come grab you and I'd drag you down the aisle. I'm too aggressive, I know. That's not how he works. He wants you to choose to love him. He wants you to know how much you love him. So everything in your life that's bad, that's a mess up, he will forgive, and he'll give you a new start. And maybe this is the church family you want to join. I don't know a better one. Maybe there's another. That's okay. They will celebrate with you wherever you go. First things first is the horses and then the cart. It's about you and Jesus. Today, the Savior of the universe looks at you and smiles and says, if you will call on me and ask you, Ask me to save you. I will save you. I will forgive you, and I will come in. Would you stand to your feet and bow your head?